Hi, Matthew here. Before we get started, I want to apologize. We did have to take a short break here from producing episodes of the podcast. And as you might have noticed, we've also had to change our name. So we are now Cause Pods. Everything you want to know, you can find at causepods.org. Same great show, same great content, same great mission, just a slightly different name. So thank you to everybody who has been supporting this effort since the beginning. And bear with us as we are definitely going to be ramping up production into 2019. And since we are in the giving season, why don't you think about heading over to causepods.org and checking out some of the great charity work that's being done by our hosts. They could certainly use your support. Thanks again for checking out Cause Pods. Hi, and welcome to Cause Pods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Here at Cause Pods, we have one simple mission to highlight the amazing folks who are using podcasts as a way to raise awareness for good causes. Whether it's a nonprofit they work with, a charity they support, a social justice campaign they're championing, a medical condition they're battling, or someone who's just looking to make a positive impact on their local community, state, country, or the world. These are podcasters with a positive mission. Along with raising awareness for our guests' favorite cause, we're also going to see if we can raise some money to support their efforts. So make sure you check out the show notes for each episode at causepods.org to learn more about what they're doing and how to help them achieve their goals. This week on Cause Pods, we are taking a slightly different direction from anything we have done before, and I'm really excited to do that. We are joined by Chris Roy of the AnimalRescueProfessionals.org, and they have their podcast, The Professionals in Animal Rescue. And some exciting news is that they're going to have two more podcasts coming out in the near future, Animal Shelter of the Week and Animal Rescue of the Week. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here on Cause Pods today. Thanks, Matthew, for having me. I'm glad to be here. So, Chris, back up just a little bit. Tell us a little bit, what is your interest? Obviously, animal rescue professionals is, I don't think we have to clearly define, you know, (laughs) what the cause there is, but what is sort of your personal interest in this mission? And then, you know, what led you into wanting to launch a podcast to sort of help you out with your work there? Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of other people, I've got my kind of story and journey. And one of my hobbies is aviation. I'm a pilot. And so back in about 2008, somebody asked me, hey, can you go fly, pick up these dogs? You know, it's for an animal rescue. And being a a dog lover, I'm like, awesome. You know, go pick up dogs and I've got a mission. And really, I was hooked. And I really ended up becoming this volunteer rescue pilot for some of the animal rescues here in Milwaukee, where I'm located. And was doing that quite regularly. And as things happen, people start sharing your name. And I was getting calls from different people around the country. And I'd say, people, I'm in Milwaukee, right? I can't fly to California, to Oregon. It just doesn't work in a single engine plane. And that kind of got me going on, you know, what needs to happen here? I mean, there needs to be a a database for this stuff. And being an IT guy, I founded a company called Dubert.com, which is it's kind of like a volunteer Uber for rescue animals. And so that was great. Started going and I started to realize that there really wasn't a lot of awareness as to all the ways that people could help with animal rescues. People think, you know, when you go help an animal rescue or an animal shelter, you got to go to the shelter, you got to, you know, clean out the pens and wash towels and stuff like that. And I really wanted to kind of spark people's interest that there's so much more that you can do, regardless what your background is, regardless what your skills are. I'm an IT guy. I'm not a marketer. I'm not a animal welfare seasoned person. I haven't worked in a shelter, but my skills coming to the table can actually help with the cause. And so I decided I'm like, I really need to do like a podcast or something and had to figure out how to do a podcast first. (laughs) But once I did that, I focused on finding people, and I call them professionals in animal rescue. So people with 
varying uh, backgrounds and, and focus areas that are doing things to help animals. And my goal is to try and highlight what they do and, and to really inspire other people to go, you know what, I never thought as a marketing major or as I've talked to teachers and doctors and lawyers and all these different things, but there's a role, there's a way that if animals are your passion, you can get involved and help. And so I'm excited because for me, it's obviously animals, like you said, are my passion and you know, my technology skills are, are trying to contribute to the cause. And so this is a way that I know not everybody knows how to do a podcast that I can kind of help provide that platform and, and again, raise more awareness to people as to how they can get involved. So I'm curious why, you know, as you were growing this organization, as your interest was growing, you know, why was it that you gravitated towards the podcast to get the word out and, and to sort of spread the goodwill? Yeah. So that's a really good question. I mean, I found, you know, podcasts are seemingly less risky for people. Um, a lot of people don't want to be on video. They don't want to see, you know, their faces out there. But when you tell them it's an audio only podcast, right? We're not going to show your picture in that. They like it. Um, number one. And number two, you know, myself, I've been getting a lot more into podcasts and listening to a lot of these. And I thought, you know, this would be a, just a really cool avenue to be able to be on a different type of platform. So certainly I do blogging and, you know, we do posts on Facebook and things like that. But to really to have another medium, another way to reach people, I thought the podcast was a really cool idea. So I did some digging into it and I'm like, hey, let's give it a shot and see what happens. Have you found it to be an effective way of getting the word out there? Like, do you think that there are folks who heard the podcast, heard the stories that you were sharing and it became more interested that might not have found what you were doing and, and how you're trying to help out otherwise? Yeah, I do think it reaches a different type of customer. I, I think, as you know, there's different generations and different technologies that people use, right? So if you want to reach millennials, you focus on Instagram. And, you know, the podcast is going after a niche that I don't think there's really not a lot of animal welfare, animal rescue podcasts out there. There's a couple, but there's not a ton of them out there. Whereas if you were to search podcasts for marketing or pick your favorite business topic right. or whatever, they're all there. And so to me, there is an underserved niche. And I do think that, you know, as it continues to grow, we've had the professionals one going for a little over a year now, and we're averaging about 1,200 listens per episode, which I think is pretty good. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Yeah, people must be sharing it or getting some regular listeners and that. I think it, it provides people, I mean, I, I don't anticipate that they listen to every single one, but it gives them ways and things to think about and a ways to talk to somebody and say, you know what, I was listening to this podcast today and I was listening to this person that she's an attorney and she does this and my friend is an attorney and it almost is a conversation starter is the way I look at it is so many people, myself included, when you are not involved in the animal rescue world, you don't understand everything that goes on. You don't understand everything that's needed. And so by introducing them and saying, wow, there's attorneys that focus on this, both attorneys that do this full-time and part-time, if somebody is a passionate, loving you know, animal enthusiast and they're an attorney and they say, you know, I've been looking for a way to give back, I'm hoping to inspire them like this is a cause you could look into because there is a need to have attorneys. So I do think it has an impact because it's reaching a different set of people than the normal people in animal welfare go after. They're pretty much focused on Facebook and some of these other social media tools. Gotcha. So, in you know, you said you started, you were a pilot and you started doing this as sort of, you know, as a start as a job and then you started doing it more and more. Any, you know, stories that come to mind, anything that really stands out as far as when this 
changed for you when it became more than just, you know, a gig? Yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, people that have have animals probably would hear me and say, yep, he's right. You know, you have this connection. These these animals are sentient beings and it's a different kind of connection. And for me personally, I, you know, I had done a number of rescues and I had loved it because I'm always looking for an excuse to go flying and, and I loved animals. And there was one particular rescue that I landed and, you know, the other people were there to meet me and they let the dog go and he literally like ran right to me. It was like he knew that I was there to help. He, I, oh. I don't think he knew where he was going or anything like that, but you could just see the gratitude and the love. And it really just made me go, this, this is my passion. This is why I do this. It's, I enjoy knowing that I'm making a difference in, in an animal's life. And I'm also helping people at the same time. And that's the bond that really cements me to this is there's so many people that have different levels of skills and different means than what I do. And and I look at it as toss my skills in the giant melting pot and what I can do to help. And I've met so many wonderful people and obviously been a part of saving so many animals. That day when I was looking in that dog's eyes, I don't know what it was. He just spoke to me like, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And it stuck with me. And I'm like, this is what I got to do. And I just keep iterating. I mean, my wife is like, all right, you need to slow down, right? Seven days a week. <laughs> but it's a passion. And when you do something that's your passion, it, it doesn't feel like work. I go into my day job on Mondays and people are like, how was your weekend? I'm like, oh, it was great. I worked all weekend. They're like, well, that doesn't sound great. I'm like, no, it was awesome. I got <laughs> to do animal rescue stuff all weekend. And that's exciting to me because it's really what I want to do. And I have to imagine that the pets are probably better passengers than sometimes people are. <laughs> Definitely. The puppies, you know, puppies tend to make lots of bodily fluids. So there's always some interesting <laughs> smells. But the pets, I mean, it's amazing. You you would think that these animals are inclined to get out or anything like that. But they're, you know, they're kind of more curious what's going on. They follow your commands for the most part. And they just hop right in, you know, strap them in. And they are looking out the window. And they're kind of like, where are we going? And what's next? And who do I get to meet? And it's just a very different experience once they're out of a shelter. And that's the cool part is to be able to, to know that they're going somewhere better, right? That they're not going to be in an overcrowded animal shelter and, you know, noisy and things like that. They're actually going to be with the family. So you started to talk about some of the folks that you know, some of the professionals that you talk to of various backgrounds that you have, you know, spoken to and folks who are sort of getting recruited that they didn't know they could be helpful. What are some of the more unique skill sets that are out there that you think have yet to be identified or, or I don't want to say spaces, vacancies that need to be filled because I'm sure you can always use more people. You can always use, you know, more lawyers, more photographers, more whatever, whatever those roles are that you're probably using on a regular basis. But are there unique subsets or unique skill sets that some people never thought would be useful that recently you've been like, you know, we've really been searching for blank and, and you know, maybe that person's listening today. Yeah. I think the one that really comes to mind for me is education is teachers. And I think it's a relatively common thing in a lot of uh, school systems that they'll have a field trip over to an animal shelter. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll do that as a part of it. And one of the things that I met somebody and talked with her that was really just inspiring to me and going, we need more people like you, that she took it to another level. She was a, a teacher, so a junior high teacher. And it wasn't about just going and engaging with the animals and, and 
teaching the students, you know, skills on how to how to teach the animals tricks and things like that. She took it to another level. She kept taking this down that science road to bring the data involved in this, right? And so what is what they did is they started getting DNA swabs. You know, you can get, you know, pet DNA um, kits just like you can get people DNA kits. And so they would take swabs of some of these animals and then they would send them out and they would get back this analysis. And then they would use that analysis to, with the kids to talk about how could we go about this differently to train this animal or to provide them a different experience, right? So the next time they would go to the shelter, they were using this science and applying it to these animals. And, and what I just thought was so amazing about that was it wasn't just teaching respect to animals. It was teaching teaching how animals are a part of our society, just like people are. It, it was teaching that connection. And animals have, you know, obviously veterinarians, and there's a whole science in that around that. And using this science class to teach them about, you know, genomes and teach them about tendencies and behaviors and all this other stuff that kind of comes from DNA. So for me, I go, there is so much that is left yet to be discovered, I think, related to science. I mean, there's there's a whole thing about the animal-human bond uh, that people have with animals. So I think it's one of those underserved areas that particularly for the next generation, the children that are coming up now, it would be really cool to see them get inspired and have a much better perspective for the role that animals play in our society. Oh, that's super cool. I love that. I mean, we know that folks who have pets, they tend to be happier. They tend to live longer. They're usually a little bit more emotionally supported. But yeah, to think about all those other things that could be incorporated into the classroom that could you know, be used to spark interest in some of these subjects among young kids is just a, a fantastic thing. So more teachers, and I assume there's really no restriction as far as where these teachers are. I mean, right. anywhere in the country, it seems like almost anywhere in the world. Yeah. I think what's really interesting for me is I've like, done a lot of this. I've It's expanded my horizons, right? So obviously living in the US, you, you know, think about how things work here and the state of animal welfare in the US versus other countries around the world is, it's just amazing how different it is. And so kind of to your point, absolutely teachers in the US, but teachers anywhere thinking about how, because the challenges are different, right? So in the US, we're very focused on companion animal rescue. It's, it's been a, a challenge for decades, man-made challenge, and we're, we're turning the corner, I think, and, and really making a big impact. Other countries such as India are, are still struggling. They're, a little bit behind in terms of their maturity for how to handle animals and, you know, spaying and neutering programs are really the only way to stop the overpopulation. So there's further for them to go. But the great thing about education is they're sparking ideas. They're sparking the next generation. They're sparking the innovation. They get, I mean, some of the crazy ideas you get from kids and you go, that's brilliant. <laughs> How it can help homeless animals or help animals in shelters. And so that's what's so cool about it is to me, I, I think about the the teachers, they're sparking that thought. They're finding that passion. They're uncovering that. I mean, I've always had a passion for animals, but never really knew it until I uncovered it. And they have the opportunity to spark in those students something that is yet to be discovered. And that person could be the one that solves some of these problems and really makes a really big de uh, dent on society. So for those folks who are hearing this and they're hearing that, you know, you didn't know anything about podcasts and you sort of, you know, taught yourself how to do it, got curious about the technology and went after it. What were some of the early lessons that you learned in producing a podcast? 
podcast that could be valuable to somebody else who's thinking, you know, podcast might be right for my cause, you know, maybe sort of help them avoid some of those early mistakes that we all tend to make. Yeah, for sure. And I think I made every single one of them, um, despite talking <laughs> to lots of people and, and trying to research. I think the first thing was to find really what your purpose is. And I initially kind of went at it very broad, like, hey, I just want to you know talk to people in animal rescue. And I didn't really have a, a focus. So it made it difficult in my show to kind of hone the discussion, like why are kind of why are you here? And what I've learned is that, you know, people gravitate towards a particular format. So they want to, you know, they want to feel comfortable. It's like you're tuning into your favorite TV show, your radio show, your podcast. You're expecting to hear the same consistent type of, of content every week. And so once I kind of got that in my head and focused it on professionals in animal rescue and really what my goal being to expand and, and educate people, it changed the types of questions that I would ask. So that was definitely the first thing. I think the second thing was to do a better job upfront of laying out a agenda. So now we've got a really good agenda that we lay out, try to answer questions. I, you know, I hadn't been interviewed on a lot of podcasts myself and I'm, you know, pretty comfortable. So it was fine for me. And what I found reaching out to new people is they were very unsure. They had a lot of questions and, so what we did is we laid it all out and we had a, a format that kind of explained the basics, how it would go, what, what the timing's like, that they didn't need to dress up because we weren't going to video it. <laughs> but we had the questions in there that, you know, kind of like the outline of questions that we were going to ask, just a prompters, as I call it, so that they could understand the types of things we'd ask and any other things that they wanted to add. We did it in a Google Doc so we could share. So we would send it ahead of time and say, hey, look, here's kind of the content. Here's the bio. Here's our intro tweak, make it your own. And then it it made it less about me doing the podcast and more about them. So while they were being interviewed, they felt like it was a part of this. They were excited on the day that we recorded the podcast. They're like, this is great. Like, I'm ready. Like, I'm, I know what you're going to ask. I know what we're going to talk about. And they were pumped up versus if they felt nervous about showing up, like, what is it going to ask me? I don't know. And so some of those fears are things that you can really overcome just by laying it out. What's interesting, if you were to take the the podcast that I did and actually take the outlines and go back and overlay them, we don't go question by question. We really go wherever that interview wants to go. And so we have so much better conversations, but it alleviates their fear going, oh yeah, these are things I know. This is my niche. This is what we do. This is my organization. And so they felt comfortable talking about it. And so it's things like that that I think that would really help you to break down those barriers. The final thing I guess I would say is, is technology. You and I were kind of talking before the show. It's like you need redundancy, things like that. We've you know, I use Skype. We've also tried some other services. There's podcasting services out there, but think simplicity. Once you are doing the podcast, then you understand what's going on because you're doing it week in, week out, right? But for that person that you're interviewing, they don't, and they don't know what to expect. They don't know if when you call them, if, if you're already recording. So you kind of want to set their mind at ease, like, Hey, we're not recording yet. Take your time. We're good. I suggest to them. It's okay, you know, if I ask a question that you don't like or that is an area you don't want to go down, just stop and say, you know what, Chris, I don't want to talk about that. It's okay. We'll edit it after the fact. Really do some pre-show interview that sets their mind at ease before you dive into the content. And I've I found that, I mean, I've learned this kind of over the last year, year and a half almost, 
And it's really just got a lot smoother every time we record a podcast now. And that's we're going to apply the same thing to the new ones we're starting in January. I don't know whether or not you consider yourself a professional podcaster having the show or if it's you know more of just a, a passion project or a side gig. I mean, I guess with plans of launching two more, you probably do. But I mean, some of that advice that you just gave is better than things that I've heard from long-standing podcast veterans. I mean, you having, you know, Thanks. sort of been self-taught and learning this as you go and and just, you know, doing it by instinct. Really, really valuable insight you picked up on there. And I want to go back to the idea of, you know, sending those questions over to folks in advance. It raised a couple of good points that I think are worth highlighting. You know, one is giving folks a chance to know what to expect, take some of their nerves away from it, makes them more prepared, makes them more comfortable when they get on there. But two, the fact that you don't actually follow it as a script. So now you have a more natural sounding conversation. What also helps that and what I'm sure you are very good at and what makes this work is that as much as you're asking questions, you really have to be listening because your guest will say something. And if you're not paying attention, you might have missed that small little nugget that could have led you down a path of truly interesting and creative insight that, you know, wasn't in your document of questions, so to speak. And so I like the fact. And then the third thing that it brought up was this idea of ownership, that it sort of makes them feel more like a part of the experience as opposed to being a, a, a victim of it or being, you know, like grilled by it or something to that effect. I imagine too that because of that ownership, because they've sort of taken part in it, it also makes them more likely to participate once the episode has been aired and to share it and to right. you know promote it on their own and to really uh, be proud of the work. And, and I'm sure that pays off in dividends. Yeah, it really does. I think the word that I would say, if you're going to be a good podcaster is you need to be humble, right? You got to recognize it's about them and you want to bring out the best in them. And the more that you can produce this stuff ahead of time, which some people are not afraid to be interviewed. I've talked to some people that are very professional. They do this stuff all the time. They're great. I've talked to other people that are literally, this is the worst worst fear of their life, right? Is getting up on stage or talking on a podcast and they get themselves all emotionally wrapped up in it. And what's really nice is when you get them going on that flow and that passion. And one of the things I always do, even even though we have that script up in front of us of kind of like the topics is before we get started, I, I say, is there anything particular you want us to highlight? And so I make little highlights in it right in front of me. So I make sure that even if they don't get the conversation to that point, when I as the interviewer, I make sure because it was something that they said was important. And it's only two maximum of three things, but it, whether it's a program, whether it's a story, whether it's what they're going to do next. I find that a lot of times they have some big programs that they're going to be rolling out. They've tried to overcome their fear for the people that are afraid of this to come on the show because they know it's a great opportunity for them. So they're excited, but they're nervous as heck. And I'm trying to help them through that. And then it becomes, as you said, a very you know calm conversation. And it's what's their passion and why are they doing this and where does this go? And the more open-ended questions you ask, the more it allows them to structure the conversation where they want to take it. So as you said, if you're listening and they mention a dog that they had as a child and you say, well, tell me a little bit more about that. What was it that inspired you? How did that turn into your career and your passion? And you just listen to them light up. I mean, because you can't see them. So you're (laughs) listening, you can hear it in their voice and their excitement and wanting to share. And then as you said, they want to tell the world about it. And 
what's exciting to me is I feel like I'm kind of like a conductor of an orchestra. My job is to bring out the best in them and to highlight their talents. I mean, they're they're the talented ones. My job is just to bring it out and focus it in that limelight so people can see what I see, and then they're excited to share. And then obviously that stimulates more people to want to get involved with rescue. That's incredible. And and again, you you sound like you have been doing broadcast interviews your entire life with the kind of insight <laughs> that you've gleaned from from doing this for just over a year now. But I love that idea of you know asking them what they want to highlight you know making sure that you right. find the thing that they're most passionate about it's something that when i was uh, in radio all the time i would do an interview and i would ask the questions that i had planned in advance because i you know i didn't have the capacity to do what you were talking about although it's making me rethink some of my processes going forward but you know i always ended every interview i ever did with was there anything else that we missed or anything else that you wanted to talk about and nine sure. times out of ten the answer would start with no, well, but maybe. And then they would right. go on and give this diatribe. They were just like, whoa, where was this radio gold the whole time? Like, this is what we've been looking for. Like, this is the great stuff. So, you know, I think there's some really, really insightful things that not just cause-based podcasters, but any podcaster can glean from your experience. And, you know, I think if you haven't been taking notes, you know, go ahead, pause, rewind, go back, write it down, because I think your your process is fantastic. Your thinking around this, the the way you approach the interview, the way you approach your guests, the humility that you bring to it is just spot on and and really, you know, kudos to you for discovering that really on your own, it sounds like. Yeah, well well thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. I think it's something I guess the way I look at it is if you're trying to do a cause based podcast, right? You are passionate about something, whatever it is. I'm passionate about animal rescue. But whether it's homelessness, whether it's whatever it is let your passion come through through that other person because you're interviewing them because their cause is your cause and you know your job is to to pull that out of them and let it shine because respectfully nobody wants to hear me right if they want to hear me then we'd do a podcast about chris but they want to hear me ask the questions that are in their mind that as they're listening to this person talk, well, it's it's almost like I picture them shouting at the radio, ask them about that, ask them about that. <laughs> because that's what our job as the podcaster is to do is to highlight and take it and, you know, really craft what it's all about to be involved in our cause. And that's what I think will get people's attention is when they can feel that passion. That's fantastic. Well, if you listening at home want to know more about Chris's passion and what they do, you can check out animalrescueprofessionals.org. There you'll learn about that organization and you'll find links to the podcast and all the different ways to subscribe. We'll also include all that in the show notes to this particular episode. And then if you want to support what Chris is doing, flyingdogrescue.com is the 501c3 and the charity that he started as part of this appearance here on Cause Pods. We will also have a fundraising effort to see if we can raise a little bit of money for Flying Dog Rescue and get the word out there and, you know, help folks like Chris give pets all around the, all across the country, all around the globe, a better home, a better place to be and, and just create great effort and great experiences for these animals that need it so desperately that can really do a lot of good for their potential owners. So Chris, fantastic work that you're doing. We will keep an eye out on professionals and animal rescue. We'll keep an eye out for the upcoming podcast, animal shelter of the week and animal rescue of the week. And we just want to thank you so much for joining us here on cause pots today. Thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate being on the show and I appreciate what you're doing. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause Pods. Again, if you've been inspired by the work of our guests, please check out the show notes in your podcast app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their work and a special donation link to support their favorite efforts. From there, you can also follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And remember, if you have a cause pod and want to join me for an interview, please check out causepods.org and fill out the interview request form. If approved, we'll schedule you for a chat and share the amazing work you're doing with the CausePod audience. Thanks again, and see you next time on CausePods. Pods.